Welcome to Real Talk, Real Estate Discussions with Andrew Kirsch. In each episode, Andrew interviews industry leaders. We'll hear their real-time opinions on today's market, their background and unique career highlights, and guidance for newcomers into the industry. You can find this show at skalalkirsch.com and on YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Now here's the host of Real Talk, Andrew Kirsch. Episode 38 of Real Talk, I want to thank Chris Powers for having me on his podcast a couple of weeks ago, uh, the Fort uh, podcast, where uh, Chris, myself, and Zach Strait of Way Capital had a really in-depth, fluid uh, conversation on you know, what to do um, when things aren't going well, uh, when your loan is underwater and the lender is exercising remedies. Uh, obviously, we are handling a lot of those deals, whether they're low, lender-assisted, facilitated sales, short sales, deed and lose, loan modifications. Um, that's what's occupying most of our time, uh, specifically in office and also in multifamily these days. Um, in this episode, I'm pivoting a little bit and I'm talking to a good friend and client, uh, Noah Hahn, founder of Meriwether. Uh, this is a company that you you need to learn more about. I mean, they they uh, transact uh, at the intersection of real estate and lifestyle, uh, highly amenitized uh, properties, second homes, hotels, club business. Uh, they create a lifestyle experience around their real estate. Uh, they're in fantastic locations uh, throughout the I guess, North American uh region from Aspen to Big Sky, Montana, to Carmel, to Costa Rica, to Cabo, uh, just unbelievable locations, unbelievable resorts. Um, as Noah says on the podcast, we sell things that no one needs, uh, but really wants. Um, so I hope you enjoy my podcast with Noah Han. Hello, welcome to another edition of Real Talk. I'm here with my good friend, Noah Han, partner of Meriwether Companies. Noah, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate it. Uh, absolutely. So, uh, Noah, you already win a prize for having uh, one of the cooler setups uh, of any of my podcast guests. Uh, see uh, a weight rack and a tonal behind you. One other guest had an infrared sauna in uh, the background. Um, so maybe you have that somewhere else in, in, in where you No, no, but it's, it's certainly on the list of toys to go get for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for my audience who doesn't know Meriwether, can you describe what the company does? Sure. Um, so we're, we're a typical spot real estate sponsor. Um, we're a resort development, um, company, so we're, we're pretty niche. Um, our primary focus is really on amenities. Um, uh, we're an owner and an operator of amenities. And then we're kind of agnostic as to what the real estate is around it. So that could be second homes. It could be a hotel. Um, we do a lot of stuff in the club business. And so um, kind of the three pillars of our company are kind of outdoor adventure sports, fitness, wellness, um, social community. And so if it fits into those buckets to create an experience in and around real estate, you know, that's, that's kind of what we do. 
Yeah, I love on your website here, uh, it says the intersection of real estate and lifestyle. Um, yep. So maybe you didn't know that it was on your website, but I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, I vaguely remember that, yeah. By the way, I don't even know what's on my website. People will say, hey, I saw this on your website. I'm like, okay, I think that was created yeah. years ago. Uh, yeah. So how... Um, I mean, we, we work in so many different asset classes, you know, your traditional asset classes of multifamily and office and retail, industrial and self-storage and hotel and hospitality. But this is even nichier than just general hospitality. So I guess, how how did you get into this? Um, so personally, my, my focus on has, has always and, and desire is always to be in the hospitality space. Um, I came up through the business on, on the investment banking and private equity side. Um, so I have, I have three other business partners. We've all spent most of our careers in and around the resort space, um, but just different functions. And so personally, I handle all of our acquisitions and deal making and capital formation and all that stuff. Uh, my partner, Graham, was with the Discovery Land Company, which uh, a lot of guys in the business are familiar with. Um, my other partner, Dave Likens, was the uh, president of Mammoth Mountain, Big Bear of Kirkwood, uh, was the chief operating officer at the Kelly Slater Wave Company, uh, through and through operations guy. Um, and then my partner, Garrett, is in construction um, and he's built stuff, you know, all over the mountains and so forth. So, um, you know, how did, how did we form Meriwether um, was really, I had no choice. Um, I was a partner in a private equity firm um, that was backed by Lehman and had a co-investment with uh, a guy who had all his money with Madoff. So uh, that was a pretty good blow up for me. Um, and it was like, leave the business or, or start my own gig. And so that's, that's what I did 2010, 2011. Wow, a combination of Lehman and and Bernie Madoff, uh, yeah, that uh, will drive someone to to be an entrepreneur yep. and um, just have their own destiny be in their own hands. Yeah, it was it was amazing running around being like an early thirty something real estate finance guy looking for a job, um, in you know two thousand nine. Yeah, uh, so you know a lot of my clients and some of these other asset classes that that I talk about, and I'm looking at my board here. You know they're not transacting in in um, some of the countries or even the the world's you know most uh, unbelievable just picturesque sites. And I just looking at your website, you know, everywhere from Aspen to Big Sky to Costa Rica to Carmel to Cabo. I mean, man, you you definitely chose the right niche to to transact in in these locations. It's it's funny. I actually um, was just doing a kickoff call with a branding and marketing firm about an hour ago, and they made the same comment. And my response is, yes, I could certainly be doing business in, in Tulsa or, you know, somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Um, I hope I didn't offend anybody by Tulsa. Um, but uh, it's, yes, they're wonderful locations and it's great. And, you know, like, like everything else, it's maybe not as glamorous as it may appear. Um, usually we're sitting in a conference room somewhere um, uh, while people are, are running around and, and on vacation and so forth. But but yes, it's it's we do very, very cool stuff. Um, I'm leaving for 
Indonesia um, for a resort we're working on there uh, on Sunday. So yeah, uh, good example of I can't complain. No, it's incredible. So if I can compare your business to a traditional hotel hospitality resort business where you know our our clients traditionally own the real estate um and they'll have uh, a hotel management company uh manage the the asset for them and you know pay a pretty hefty uh management fee um uh but you know in the end it's it's still more passive real estate more active than than owning you know triple net real estate like a like yeah. an industrial building or an office building or even an apartment building um how involved are you on the operation side i guess give more context of the structure as it relates to the real estate versus the operating business sure yeah i mean we're um one one of our uh, kitschy phrases is we sell things that nobody needs, which is a second home. Um, it's obviously a lifestyle choice. Um, it's not the most rational economic choice, and so um, because of that, we feel like we need to control the experience if we're selling the experience. And so what I mean by that is we're a fully integrated operator and developer. Um, Historically, we had done everything under the Meriwether name, but um, about a year and a half ago, two years ago now, we split our company into an Opco and a Propco um, for exactly what you're outlining. And so our typical deal were the real estate guys. Um, you know, we're a sponsor, so we co-invest and we go raise LP equity um, and we promote that capital and, and we own the asset. Um, and they hire us as quote unquote, the developer. Um, and then secondarily, we are also the operator. And so from a, from a deal structure perspective, we get paid market rate fees, the same as you would pay a developer gets a development fee, an operator gets, you know, 4% of revenue as an example, we get those same set of fees um, for performing both services. So if we wanted to take like a classic hotel example, you would say, okay, I'm buying a, a Marriott in um, Manhattan and I'm gonna renovate it and I'm gonna hire Marriott or someone else to manage it. You can think of us as, as both the sponsor of buying the real estate as well as call it Marriott or the management company. So we're kind of fully integrated and we do everything. Um, the, the nichier stuff that we do, particularly in the club world, does not lend itself well to um, kind of the tried and true hotel operator model. Um, and obviously there's there's lack of alignment in that model that everybody sees the hotel operators taking top line revenue and um, there's friction there. Um, we tend to find that capital likes the structure because we're also co-invested in the deal and we own a piece of the real estate and we're signing on loans and, and taking all that risk and so um, there's a little more alignment in a in this structure. Yeah. Now, will you operate for a third party owner where you don't have an ownership interest? Uh, so the answer is yes. Um, but those deals are primarily structured as if we do. Um, mm -hmm. So because we have such a niche expertise, um, as an example, we formed a partnership with the Sanchez Navarro family. 
uh, down in Cabo, where we're doing a man-made wave basin, um, which we have a very niche expertise in, uh, as well as a golf course and a club and so forth. And so they look at that and said, okay, I could hire Troon to manage the club. I could hire someone else over here and I could hire a contractor. And all of a sudden there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen in, the, in what is a very complicated deal. And so we're, we're kind of a, a single source. And so even though we do not have a co-investment, we might as well. Um, they didn't want that because it's a family owned asset and that opened up a bunch of issues. Um, but we're ostensibly the sponsor of the deal. Um, we have a very similar structure with Reed Hastings uh, at Powder Mountain um, up in Utah. And so what we've been finding more recently is that people have hired us for our expertise. Um, and, you know, the money is already there, let's say, um, but they really need the niche expertise. And so whether it's Aspen or Cabo, um, that's where we're getting hired and then we'll throw in some alignment capital or not. Uh, yeah. depending on the deal. So in terms of your end consumer, I mean, coming out of COVID, um, you know, the second home market was just on fire. Uh, people uh, valued outdoor recreation more than probably any time ever before. Um, how have things changed um, now that we're, what, three plus years coming out of COVID? Economy has changed, although you wouldn't know it with, you know, labor market and, and how the stock market is performing. But certainly in the real estate industry, we're all feeling it. Uh, maybe we're a precursor before the rest of the economy feels it. But how's the overall health of your business from a consumer standpoint? Um, so, so from, from a consumer standpoint, um, you, you know, I want to say surprisingly, but it's not all that surprising, I guess it's in, in that it's still very healthy. Um, you know, there's, you know, our industry talks about the COVID sugar high, um, is, you know, a frequently used term. Um, and we are coming off the COVID sugar high for sure. Um, so that's number one. Number two. Pre-COVID, our business was almost a one-to-one -one correlation with the economy. Um, and for the first time in my career, that split where the economy was questionable and our business was doing extremely well. And that split continues to exist. Um, I think it's a bit of a, it's a sad commentary on, on some of the geopolitical and political and uh, other things going on in our world. But the reality um, is the rich are continuing to get richer. That concentration of wealth is happening. Um, and, and as sad as I am about some of the things going on in our world, it is good for my business. Um, so, so that's kind of a high level what, what's happening. So yes, it's slowed down, but um, you know, Cabo, Palm Desert, you know, Utah, the markets are still fairly strong. Um, most of it's cash buyers and, um, you, you know, people with money. Uh, the other pitch that I've been just started to, to try on is we are raising money for a, a couple of projects. Um, and, and I actually genuinely believe this is, uh, I'm making the pitch that I'm now in the office business. 
And what I mean by that is uh, we are convicted. It's not going to stay as bad as it is. People are going to go back to the office. Um, but the three and four days, hey, I'm going to go into the office Monday to Wednesday, but I might drive out to the desert and work, work from my house out in the desert. Uh, or I'm going to drive up to the mountains and work from my, my condo, you know, up in the mountains. Um, you know, it's become socially acceptable to sit in your golf shirt or your ski gear and I'm on my Zoom call and um, that's okay now. And I don't think that's changing. I, I think, um, you know, with the epicenter of capital moving to Miami um, and remote work, and you don't have to be in New York and you don't have to be in the office. So this combination of this concentration of wealth with the flexibility of work um, means that I'm, I'm really bullish on, on our business, um, you know, certainly over the intermediate and long term. Well, I think I think the tagline uh, tagline of our uh, of this episode is going to be Noah Hahn says the epicenter of uh, what did you say the epicenter of capital markets has moved to Miami. Certainly seems like it's heading that yeah. way. Right. Uh, yeah. At least not not between um, Memorial Day and Labor Day, though. Correct. <laughs> Correct. No, they're all going to be in Aspen with me. Yeah. Yeah. Hence, hence your. Uh, yeah. Aspen club. And, and, by the way, like I, I'm, I'm serious. Like what we are seeing is, you know, the hedge fund guy, the Wall Street guy, whoever, who used to go to Aspen for ten days, he's now saying, yeah, you know, what? I'm going to go for the whole summer, right? I'm, yeah. I'm going to go June 15th to August 15th, and I'll fly back to New York if I have to. And so that duration of stay um, and the psychology of you know, the vacation rental business and the second home business has changed. And I don't think it's changing back. Mm -hmm. Well, how have, I mean, interest rates on, on uh, real estate in general has skyrocketed. Obviously, uh, single family homes have gone up significantly. Um, has that affected your customer base or they're just, it's just the 0.1% of the 1% and therefore, no, it's 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 not so much that uh, Discovery, you know, a well, friendly competitor of ours, Discovery plays in that space, right? Point one of the point one, um, you know, but but the you know our customer base is a notch or two below, but still you know super wealthy, um, and so uh, and and they didn't finance deals, uh, you know, two years ago either, right? Our business has been primarily cash buyers. Uh, a lot of guys will, you know, get a line on their, um, you know, with their wealth management firm or whatever. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're primarily a cash business. And so, um, you know, the, the financing hasn't hit our customer. And then, you know, we, I think we were chatting about this, um, nobody would really lend us money anyways, because we were such a niche, risky business. Um, and so from a, from a capital structure, um, we wouldn't have done it, um, uh, but it wasn't available anyways to go out and kind of leverage our, our deals. The returns on our projects are not driven by leverage. We're not a multifamily deal where, you know, 25 bips on either side of your debt kind of blows up your deal. Um, that's just never been the nature of our deal. And so, um, knock on wood, 
you know, we don't have a lot of leverage right now. Yeah. So let's talk about the capital markets. Obviously, it's impacted our business, all of our clients' business. How has it impacted your business? First, let's let's talk about you know the equity side. Do you rely on institutional equity, who for the for the most part for the last 12, 18 months have been mostly on the sidelines? Um, you know, family offices, high net worth, private capital, they've still been doing deals. Um, so are you capitalizing it more on you know, JV institutions or friends and family syndications, or give us, uh, you know, some insight into that. It'll be above. Um, the last three deals we've done have all been with super high net worth families who brought us into the deals. Um, uh, we Meaning just, they, sor- they sourced the deal. They had the deal, but they needed the expertise, right? Yep, so it's, got it. again, it's club and hospitality and amenity driven. Um, certainly the wave, the wave pool, um, and ski operations and again, really niche stuff. Um, we did just buy a distressed deal in, in San Diego. Um, and that was an equity syndication with a highly structured, uh, senior loan. Um, that was a, you know, wall street, uh, New York type loan. Um, and. And so the, the issue primarily, I, this is just my personal belief in real estate, you know, writ large, um, institutional capital was formed for real estate and funds. And it's a, you know, put it out in three and bring it home in seven type situation. And I personally don't think that real estate was designed for that. And, and I think frankly, low interest rates, you know, Private equity funds were allowed to were able to churn capital um, in the last two decades, um, but you know, five years is not a business plan in real estate, right? It's seven, it's ten, um, and so to me, there's a huge mismatch between capital formation and real estate in general. And in our business, that's particularly exacerbated because it is an operating business. Um, uh, pretty much everything that we do is some form of operations. And so, you know, we have a deal out in the Coachella Valley um, that we think is, uh, it's still achieving a plus 20 IRR over, a, you know, 12 year underwriting. We're a four and a half equity multiple as an example, uh, but it's a 12, it's a 12 year deal. Yeah. Right? It's not, and the private equity, well, you know, we want to see liquidity sooner. And it's like, well, Maybe you don't want to be in the real estate business because um, <laughs> so so certainly I, our niche is exacerbated by time, um, it, but the returns I think for the relative risk are are there. Um, but I think it's an issue in real estate in general. Yeah, and then how about on the debt side? I mean, so much of your product is I assume based on unique construction financing. Um, yeah. How is the construction financing market for you? Do you go to money center banks? You go to debt funds. I mean, what's your source of, of of debt? And I know you said that you've already been constrained on leverage before yeah. this recent credit yeah. crunch, so you're not seeing the impact that some of our other clients have are are suffering because they were given 70, 75, 80 percent leverage, preferred equity, mes. I mean, it's yeah. high octane debt. So so going forward, what type of debt are you is available for you. Yeah, so we, I, I was lucky and unlucky enough 
to be a, a, a partner, you know, called a junior partner in a firm that blew up in 08. And so I had the in, in our niche. And I had the benefit of being senior enough to be in the room, um, but not senior enough where my name was on the loans and I didn't have a whole bunch of capital invested. Um, you know, but just watch the whole thing blow up. And so that was a great experience for me in my career um, to, to just know that, you know, real estate doesn't just always go up. Um, and so for us, our capital structure is everything. Um, I was just pitching someone on this um, deal that we're raising for out in Coachella. Um, and like every phone call I'm on lately, oh, well, we'd love to be preferred equity. And, uh, and, you know, some version of, I'm sure you would, um, but you know, it's not a distressed deal and so forth. And so, um, historically nobody would give us a lot of leverage because it was an operating business. And frankly, we probably wouldn't have taken it. And so, you know, there is still leverage out there for, um, uh, for our deals, but we typically underwrite 30 to 50% leverage. Oh, that's it. Um, because, we, you know, A, it's not available or B, we just don't want to take it on. Um, we've been, you know, knock on wood, we've been really disciplined and have walked from really good deals because we couldn't get the right cap structure in place. Um, but, you know, the, the ability for all of us in the real estate business to get Pac-Man from below um, is is real especially in today's market right so you're talking about taking on a senior at seven eight percent then you're taking on pref or mez you know you're you know that wants a 15 and so you're really putting your capital at risk um and so i've, I've walked from two deals that i really wanted to do in the last 18 months because i couldn't get the right cap structure yeah uh look it's if you don't have the right cap structure then doesn't matter how great your project is it's it's not going to work out. Um, so I want to pivot the conversation to the development side and the land use permitting side uh, and how long it takes to to get entitlements, especially in some of the markets that you're in that uh, I could imagine are resistant to um, to a lot of development. Um, uh, I don't know if there's I don't want you to talk, you know, if. Uh, I want you to feel comfortable talking about the project. So I guess I'll, I'll ask it in general. No, I, I, there's, there's nothing I'm not comfortable talking about. I mean, look, we we, um, uh, we just got at this deal that I'm talking about out in Coachella is a project called Coral Mountain. Um, we got absolutely spanked. Um, you know, is this the Kelly Slater Wave Pool? This was the Kelly Slater Wave yeah. Pool project. Um, and I mean, look, we, we made a good land buy. There were underlying entitlements that we were relying on. And so, in fact, you know, that's the project we're now doing. Um, so we have great land basis and we have great underlying entitlements. We did spend three and a half years of our lives trying to get a fairly innovative um, project. Um, and, and we got spanked. And it's really a shame. Our whole thesis was the, the facts would win in the end. Um, it, the main consternation was in and around water, um, and the underlying zoning was the, the use, the, the use the of water, of use. yeah, the amount of water use in a, in a recreational amenity. Um, but the underlying zoning is for a golf course. 
And yeah. so nobody actually looked at the facts. It was, oh, you know, you guys are surfing in the desert and nobody has any water and how could you guys do that? And, um, but the reality is we are now going to build a golf course that will literally use 12 times the amount of water we were going to use for the wave basin. And so, so what is that, it? Is it just is it just that the local government officials prefer to play golf and the and they're not surfers or what 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 is the reason? No, it's, it's actually really simple, and I'm I, but I also need to be delicate here because I am uh, still in that marketplace. Um, and 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 by the way, what I'm about to say is also true in Aspen, Telluride, Carmel, Steamboat. Um, these are very small city councils. Um, the people that are on city council are, you know, local people from the community, um, and 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 you know their budgets are tiny, right? And so the implications, as an example, of bringing a five hundred million dollar to seven hundred fifty million dollar project to say, you know what, you know, you constituents, you're not listening. Here are the facts. Here's what's happening with water. Here's the revenue base it's going to bring. It's an operating business, so it's going to bring jobs. You know, they just wanted to get elected. And, and we happened, I mean, it was literally the perfect storm. We were delayed a year because city council, because it was so small, didn't meet during COVID. So we lost all of COVID. And then we came out of it in the middle of an election year and a drought. And so... You know, we were written up in the Wall Street Journal, in the New York Times, in the LA Times on the Monday before our Tuesday hearing. Um, we just got lambasted. Nobody cared about the facts. Nobody, nobody looked at it. Um, and we, we made the wrong political calculation. Um, we should have stayed quiet and not said anything and not done any press releases and just um, uh, had gone about our business. But it, it was such a boon for that community and, and, and they missed it. And, and the, but my whole point is these people just want to be reelected because they like being the mayor. You know, they like being in these small towns and having um, a role. And so um, you really got to understand that and, and appreciate that. Um, we actually have a very successful entitlement track record in all these small communities. Um, I think we, I think our strategy we missed a little bit, um, and the rest of it was just unlucky, right? I mean, we got unlucky because of COVID. That city council people in this in that example said, "Had you guys been here twelve months, we got twelve months ago, you would have gotten approved five up." Yeah, so, it's just a different climate. So, do you own that land, or did you have an option? Yeah. No, 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 we owned it. Um, again, we 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 had underlying zoning and a backup business plan. Uh -huh. And so, and, and frankly, that business plan really gotten better because there's no inventory out there because of COVID. So COVID yeah. was a blessing in that, in that way. Um, and, and we bought the land really well. So we always had a, we don't ever go naked on a, on a deal where if we didn't get the entitlements, we're done. We right. always had a backup business plan um, and we liked our land basis. So. Oh, gosh, I look, it's, um, there, any entitlement project now is is challenging, um, and like you said, especially in these markets. So when you are when you are pitched an idea, if it's coming from uh, you know someone wanting your expertise, or you are you know looking at sites that could be great candidates for uh, you know 
a, a lifestyle uh, um, program, lifestyle uh, real estate resort, how much deal, diligence do you do on the front end of how likely your project will get passed through the you know local jurisdiction? Yeah. Um, the vast majority of what we do, um, we've had three, so we've done 15 projects and we've had three um, really hard fought entitlement battles. Uh, one was in Telluride, this one in at Coral Mountain, um, and uh, one in Steamboat. Um, so we generally, you're going to get, people are going to come out of the woodworks no matter what you do. Um, in this context, we generally only look at stuff that is, um, you know, zoned. Like what we, we will very rarely look to do a zone change, if ever. Um, the other thing, a lot of what we have done that were existing deals that ran into trouble. Um, I would say that's been 80% of our portfolio versus, you know, raw greenfield. Um, and so like the zoning's already there, the entitlement's already there. That's not necessarily the challenge. Yeah. Uh, all right. Last set of questions before we do a, uh, a lightning round, uh, which is the world, world famous real talk, uh, lightning okay. round. But, uh, right. obviously you, um, you, you talked about Cabo and on your website, there's a, I think a project in Costa Rica. How is it transacting internationally compared to domestically, whether it's from a capital market standpoint or zoning entitlement permitting standpoint, you know, what differences have you experienced? Uh, local partner period, full stop. Um, you, you have got to you have got to be connected with someone locally. So in both those places, we had a local partner. Um, our partner in Cabo today is the Sanchez de Barro family, uh, which is Corona Beer family, uh, amongst you know a ton of other real estate development and so forth. So um, I wouldn't we, we would not do a deal internationally without a local partner uh, who's got the political connections to to get stuff done. Um, certainly the, the, the other big lesson, which has been really interesting is just, um, uh, you know, ironically architecture and construction, um, a lot of those markets, the, the local tradespeople only know how to build a certain way, um, particularly both in Cabo and in Costa Rica, it's concrete, right? So you, you are building concrete and cinder block and, you know, that is your design constraint. Um, you know, a, a really good example was the original people who built the Four Seasons in Costa Rica, just, you know, they got spanked pretty hard because they tried to take this Balinese architecture um, and materials that the local tradespeople um, didn't understand. And, and the cost overruns and the quality was a disaster. Um, and so, you know, those, those were kind of two of the really, really big lessons are um, that you really have to um, work and build locally, use materials that they understand, um, and then always have a local partner. You just have to. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Um, all right. You ready for a few lightning round questions? So quick answers to these questions and we'll get you out of here. Awesome. And, um, all right. Favorite summer location 
for a vacation for you? Summer or beach? Ah, well, sure. Let's say. I, I, I mean, the answer is Costa Rica. That's my favorite place yeah. in the world. Okay. Uh, for a year, I like to surf, and that's my that's my spot. Love it. And how about winter? So I guess. Um, I, I, mean, I recently had uh, an experience. I got, I got to go to Europe um, and ski, and it was radically different um, from the skiing in the U.S. And so that was in Zermatt. So I'm yeah. going to go ahead and, and say Zermatt. Yeah, my wife keeps threatening wanting to to do that. Uh, I think uh, I think I need to work a few more years. You should pick her up on that thread. Yeah. Uh, all right. Untapped market that may be less known to the public, but you think in the next five, 10 years, this could be something special, or maybe you don't want to say it because you want to transact there. These deals are so hard to transact that, you know, I'd be letting a cat out of the bag. I, I, so I, I am there. There's an area of Costa Rica where I've spent a lot of, all the development has gone on in the, up in the North in the Guanacaste region, which is sure. where the Four Seasons is and all that stuff. The central Pacific of uh, Costa Rica is massively untapped and I think a dramatically better experience than the northern region. Is that uh, in the Manuel Antonio area? That's exactly where it is. That, you know, Manuel Antonio, Dominical, um, yeah. as you go a little bit south, I think is a really, really special place. So for my 30th 30th birthday, 30th birthday, that's now 18 years ago. So uh, you know how old I am. Um, uh, I did a trip with my former girlfriend, so not wife, uh, prior prior to meeting my wife. Um, ironically, it was like one month before I met my wife. I went to Costa Rica and we were in, this was what, 2005 in Manuel Antonio. And that was a special place even back then. Do you remember the name of the hotel you stayed at? It's probably not somewhere that... Um, my wife and I would be staying in today. Staying today, yeah. Well, I would hope <laughs> not. Uh, hope, hopefully you've grown. Um, yeah, no, that, I, so I lived in Mamma Antonio for pretty much a year. Um, and it's my favorite spot in the world. And and uh, I am back there usually once a year, but maybe every other year. Yeah. Um, all right, my, in my conversations with you, I feel like you're you know more into extreme sports than, than the average Joe. So... I don't know, give one example or some, some, uh, something where you're like, you know what, that was a little too gnarly for me. Uh, oh, that's, that's actually not where I was expecting you to go with that question. Um, the, so I, um, sur surfing in the Marshall Islands, uh, I went on a surf trip, but also looking at a project there uh, with one of my business partners who's a very accomplished surfer um, and it's a 32 hour trip to get there. Um, and we landed and it was massive, like really big. And I hadn't slept in 32 hours and we got right on the boat and right into the water. Um, and everybody's yelling at me to go, go, go. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm <laughs> hang out on the shoulder out here. Um, but it was probably, I don't know, three to four foot overhead over a shallow reef. And I was just like, uh, no, I'm a, you know, I'm a Jewish kid from Chicago. I'm a little out of my element here. I'm going to go ahead and pass on this. All right. Well, where do you think I was going with the question? Oh, um, what, what, what are you doing? 
um, you know, sure. so I, I'm, so I'm, I've, I've recently got into foiling as my, foiling. my kind of conquest. I'm doing it, yeah. you know, I live here in Boulder, Colorado and I, we do it out at the reservoir, but you can also do it in the ocean. Yeah. Um, no, I've seen it people here in the Pacific. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's the newest thing I'm, I'm working on. Yeah. No, it's awesome. Hey, Noah, uh, I really appreciate your time and candor and, uh, all the projects that, that you've done. It's, um, they're, they're really special and iconic. And, uh, uh, I, I thank you for coming on the show and wish you all the success, you and Graham, your partner, uh, with all the projects that are, uh, in, in, in the pipeline. Thank you so much. I, I, I really appreciate it. It's my, my first podcast. So, uh, hopefully it was worthwhile. Well, I'll find out. I'll get all the feedback and I'll only send you the, the positive ones. Please. I could, I could use uh, the boot. <laughs> all right, Noah. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right. You've been listening to Real Talk, Real Estate Discussions with Andrew Kirsch. You can catch prior episodes at scalarkirsch.com and on YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Thank you for your positive reviews, comments, and for sharing the show with others.